0: Hey, Woodland Church, uh, so glad that you are here today. I know God wants to really speak to your heart. We're in a series that we're concluding that we're calling God Help. And the band told me that they wanted to help me out a little bit today. So I'm not exactly sure what they've got in mind, but let's see. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate that. Um, I think we all need a little bit of help. And what we're going to talk about today is God's help to overcome people-pleasing. Now, what's so bad about people-pleasing anyway? Is it wrong to be liked or appreciated or to do nice things for others? No, not at all. The problem with people-pleasers is they don't draw lines, and they don't have boundaries, and they're so concerned about pleasing everyone else and making everyone else happy that they forget who they are or they never discover who they are and they don't really live from their true selves because they don't know who their true self is because they're always worried about how to please everyone else and do what everyone else wants. Their identity is so tied up in pleasing others that they don't really have an identity of their own. Someone said, that just before a people-pleaser dies, someone else's life flashes before them. And I think that's true. People-pleasers often open themselves up to manipulation and and control by others. By the way, you know what happens when an enabling people-pleaser meets an insensitive controller? They get married. That's what happens. (laughs) The truth is, though, we all have people-pleasing tendencies. I want us to read from our key verse today in Galatians 1.10. So would you stand in honor of God's word, Will Church, and follow along with me because the Apostle Paul here says something so powerful about how we're to please God and not people. Galatians 1.10. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You can be seated. Paul said, my whole goal in life is to please God. If I were trying to please people, then I can't really please God because if I'm so focused on pleasing others, I won't even know what God wants me to do in life. I'll be so busy following everyone else's plan for my life that I won't follow God's plan for my life and I'll waste my life. Now, there's some people pleaser traps that are really destructive. It says in Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. And so the Bible tells us that people-pleasing is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous trap. You become trapped in people-pleasing. And so I want us to look at several of the traps of people-pleasing. The first is fear. Fear is a big driver in people-pleasing behaviors. It may be the fear of rejection, thinking that if I don't, please them. If I don't do what they want, then they may reject me. If I become real with them and they see my true self, they may not like it and they may reject me. It's the fear of rejection or it's the fear of hurting someone else's feelings or the fear of being found out that they'll really know what you're like or or that you're not as good as you appear. Pleasers say yes and resent saying yes, but yet they don't want to lose someone else's love. So maybe it's the fear of losing someone else's love, just being nice all the time because you'd rather people like you than risk the fear of rejection. It may be the fear of failure, that you don't want to be a failure in their eyes. And so we end up trying to impress people rather than influence people. We end up trying to impress people with an image rather than to be real and be who we really are. And when you're real and you're who God made you to be, then you find true friendships, true relationships, because the people who like you, you know, they're liking the real you and not some image of you. So fear is a big trap. We become trapped by fear and fear is the opposite of love. You know, a lot of people think fear is the opposite of faith, but it's not. It's the opposite of love. It says in 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so when we have fear and trying to, you know, please people or just be nice and not rock the boat, when we're trying to please other people, Many times it's because of fear, and it's not because of love. We miss out on love because of fear. We don't love people when we try to please them. That's not loving. You know, sometimes loving someone means telling them something they don't want to hear. And so when we're people-pleasing, trying to do what we think someone else wants us to do, we're not really thinking about that other person. We're thinking about what they're thinking about us, and that's selfishness. Really, it comes down to selfishness. That's why it's the opposite of love because trying to please someone else is not really thinking about them at all. You're thinking about how they think about you. And it's really a selfishness. It's an inward focus. And when you begin to glimpse a little bit of God's love for you and you focus on God's love for you, it sets you free from the fear of other people because you know the God of the universe loves you. You know the God of the universe created you for a purpose and he loved you so much that he died for you. Your self-esteem issues were settled on the cross. And so you don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks about you. You just look into the eyes of the only one who matters, that audience of one. Well, fear is a real trap in people pleasing. The next trap is conflict avoidance. Conflict avoidance, trying to avoid conflict at all costs, not wanting to rock the boat. And uh, people who are trapped by this conflict avoidance and people-pleasing buy in to the lie that all conflict is bad. Anytime there's conflict, anytime there's an argument, anytime there's a confrontation, that's gotta be a bad thing, that's a destructive thing. You wanna avoid that at all costs, and it's really just the opposite. You can't have real and loving relationships without some conflict. Because if you really love someone, you're gonna be your true self, And so you're going to share your true feelings. And when you share your true feelings, it causes conflict in a marriage relationship. When two people share their true feelings, there's going to be some conflict. You know, if there's no conflict in a marriage relationship, it means somebody is just people-pleasing, and eventually that's going to blow up. And so whenever we avoid conflict, to have peace at all costs, To not rock the boat. It keeps relationships on a a shallow level because the only way you can go deeper in a relationship is to have some conflict and then work through the conflict. Not yelling or blowing up in anger and not stuffing it in and pretending like you're not upset, but it's sharing your true feelings and then sharing the truth and going through the conflict and then you arrive at peace. But when you avoid conflict, you don't really have peace. The conflict is still there, whether you avoid it or not. Peace is not achieved through conflict avoidance. All that conflict avoidance does is suppress or postpone the communication related to the conflict. The conflict is still there. You may sweep it under the carpet. You may throw it into the closet, but it's still there. And it gets worse and worse, and it builds up more and more. If you suppress it, and you ignore it, that's not peace at all. That's appeasement. And eventually, it's going to blow up. Well, the next trap in people-pleasing is approval addiction. Approval addiction. Now, we all enjoy gaining the approval of other people. You know, we all enjoy someone else complimenting us, or respecting what we do, or admiring what we do. But yet, If we focus on that, it becomes almost like an addiction, where we have to have the approval of others, that we've got to do whatever it takes to win the approval of others, because we just can't bear it when we have disapproval coming from someone else, and so we try to please everyone, not just try, but we've got to please everyone when it comes to that compulsion that you recognize it. One of the things that's helped me so much is recognize when I have that compulsion to people please and I have to stop, take a step back and say, God, am I doing this because I really care about them? Or am I doing this so they'll like me, so that they will like me more, so they won't reject me, so they will accept me? And many times when we're just being nice to people, that's not love. Niceness isn't love. It's good to be nice instead of being mean, that's for sure. But sometimes we're just nice when we should be truthful and it will cause conflict. Um, People always think of Jesus as nice. I want you to know the people that ran into Jesus 2,000 years ago didn't think that he would be described as nice. Sure, he's loving, but walking into the presence of the Son of God was like walking into a hurricane. He was gonna tell you the truth in love. He he wasn't gonna try to win your approval, but he was gonna love you in truth. And so our goal is not to be nice as Christ followers. We're to be kind, the Bible says, and kind is love in action, whatever it takes to love someone else. And sometimes that means truth that offends them. Truth that they don't want to hear because you love them enough to tell them the truth. And I want you to know, managers, you know, in the workplace, it's real important to be truthful with the people who work for you. It's real important to tell them the truth so that they can become all that they can be. It's so important to be totally gut level and truthful because that's the only way you develop trust. Truth and trust go together. And so, if on your team, everyone could be truthful and say, I don't like that idea. And you in a closed room, you start being able to share your true feelings and it's not squashed. Then you can come to the place where you, when you walk out of the room, there's trust. There's trust. And so you've got to be able to tell the truth so that you can develop trust. But if we're not careful, all these things turn into a people-pleasing addiction where it just becomes our natural default. That if we're not really in tune with the Lord or centered in the Lord, all of a sudden, we find ourselves people-pleasing and getting into all kinds of trouble. But the next trap of people-pleasing is guilt. Many people-pleasers constantly giving and doing for everyone else do it out of a little bit of guilt. They're doing it to feel better about themselves because of the guilt that they carry, that they're not good enough that they don't measure up. And so the more good things they do for other people, it makes them feel a little better about themselves. But the Bible tells us that guilt is unnecessary. It's not what you do for God that makes him love you. It's what he did for you on the cross. It's not what you do for others that gain their love. It's who you are. Now we're to do things and acts of kindness, but you ought to check yourself. Am I doing this to make myself feel better or because I'm trying to help them? And Sometimes we do nice things for others because we want to get attention. We want everybody around us to think, wow, we're really nice. They're so kind. We don't mind other people hearing about our, the nice things that we do. But are we doing that because we really love them and we really care about them? Guilt is another trap of people-pleasing. Another trap of people pleasing is overcommitment. You know, we just overcommit because we're saying yes to everyone and we're afraid to say no and we're just always helping other people and saying yes to other people and we become resentful and bitter because whenever you're overcommitted, doing what everyone else wants you to do, you don't have time to take care of yourself. There's no soul care for yourself. And what you end up doing is, is becoming resentful because you're doing everything for everyone else, but you don't even really know what you want, who you are. You lose your identity. You become emotionally drained. Many times you're easily exploited and you become used. Now, if you have trouble saying no, you got to practice it. You got to practice it because I think that's one of the most powerful spiritual words you could ever say is no. You see, there are a lot of good things that you can do, but there are only a few God things you can do. And if you do all the good things, you won't do the God things. Because if you do all these good things that you have opportunities to do, you won't have time to do the few things that God wants you to do. And what I've learned is I have a lot of opportunities that come my way and And I want to say yes to this and yes to that. I want everyone to think that, hey, Pastor Kerry, he cares. He can do it. But I'm not God. And when I say no, I'm admitting I can't do everything. God's called me to do a few things. But there are a lot of good opportunities out there, but only a few God opportunities. And if I do all the good things out there, I can't do what God's called me to do. And I miss out on the purpose of my life. And so I hate to say no to people. I hate to say no. You know, I I think, though, the reason I hate to say no is because, almost because, I want to be God. You know, it's like, I want to be able to do all these things that I feel like doing, but I can't. I have to remember my limits. That God is, and I'm not. And so you got to learn to say no. It's one of those spiritual words you could ever use. No, I can't do that. I'd really like to do that, but no, I can't. Well, Guilt is one thing. Overcommitment is another thing. But people-pleasing in its purest form is idolatry. The greatest trap is you get trapped into idolatry. In Exodus 23, God says, you must not have any other God but me. Now, that's just not any old commandment. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And whenever you look to the significance of someone else and what they think about you to bring fulfillment, then you're not looking to God and what he thinks about you and your significance and identity in him. And that's really idolatry. It's looking to someone else other than God for your fulfillment. It's putting someone else ahead of God. It's putting what someone else thinks about you ahead of what God thinks about you. And it becomes idolatry and it's a serious sin to God. And it causes all kinds of problems In our life, when we start to forget about what God thinks of us, it means we have our hearts and minds fixed on the object, the person that we care about, what they think about us. And it becomes idolatry. And if you've never thought of it in this way, you need to start because that's exactly what it is. That's the way God looks at it. You can't love God with all your heart if your heart is thinking about what everyone else thinks about you. So how do we overcome these traps of people-pleasing? Well, the Apostle Paul had it right. He knew how to balance his relationships with people. It's not that you, you know, don't want people to like you. I mean, it's not that you're trying to get people to dislike you. No, here's what it is. The Apostle Paul tells us what it is in 1 Corinthians 9, 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Hey, Paul was not a yes man. Paul was not a manipulator. Paul was not a people pleaser. But what he would do is he would find common ground with the people he was relating to. He didn't try to get them upset. He didn't try to get them to dislike him. He would at first try to find common ground with them so that he could then tell them the truth of the gospel. He did it all for their sake and for the gospel's sake, to please God and to make a difference in their lives. And so he's hanging out with the Jews, he becomes like them, and he begins to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, he would get right into the lives of whoever he cared about, whoever he was with, and he would show them, I care about you, but then he would tell them the truth. Now, many times, it would make them hate him. He would share the truth in love, and they would kick him out, or they would be, he was beaten many times in prison for just sharing the love of Christ and the truth. But it wasn't about trying to win their approval. It was about trying to win them to Christ because he cared about them, he loved them. It wasn't about what they thought about him. It was that he loved them and wanted them to experience what he had. And so it's not that you go out getting people to dislike you or try to do things that make people dislike you or always saying controversial things that get people to be upset about you. No, it's caring about people enough to try to find a common bond with them and yet share the truth with them in love in order to bring them to Christ to help them grow in Christ, to encourage them in Christ. It's always about pleasing God rather than pleasing people. It's always about loving people. And so people pleasing is a trap. So let me just share with you two things on how you live for an audience of one because that's what it comes down to. If you really want to have fulfillment, if you really want to have peace, if you really don't want to be worn out and exhausted dancing to everyone else's tune, but you want to follow what God has for you and not miss out on his purpose for your life and not come to the end of your life and realize you wasted it trying to please everyone else who didn't even care about you, then you've got to do these two things first. You must decrease your focus on what the people around you think about you. You've got to really diminish your focus on what people are thinking about you. That is, you've got to make people smaller because a people pleaser makes people big and God small. You're really focused on what people think rather than what God thinks, and your God becomes really small. But we have a great God who created the universe, and he loves you, and that should settle everything. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. You, you see, people were comparing Paul to another preacher, Apollos, and some were going, I really like Apollos, you know? Paul, yeah, here's his weaknesses. He's not that great at this or that or the other, and oh, Apollos is great and all that, and Paul said, your opinion of me is really small, I care about it a little bit, but not much. I I don't really care about it that much because it's a small thing. Your opinion of me, you judging me, I don't even care about judging myself. I just look to God. And if God's pleased with me, that's great. So it doesn't worry me. I just want you to know, as long as we're all in it together, God bless Apollos, we're all in it together. It's not about us anyway. It's about God. I love that. Paul minimized the weight he placed on the opinions of others. People were small to him and God was big. And when people are small and God is big, then you love people rather than use them. You love people rather than try to please them. Obsessing over what others think of you is the surest way to forget about what God thinks about you. And that's why you'll always be in fear. You'll never find fulfillment until you focus on what God thinks about you. So the second thing is, in order to live for an audience of one, I must increase my focus on what God thinks about me. I must decrease my focus on what people think about me. And I increase my focus on what God thinks about me. And how do I do that? Well, I've got to spend time with God and his word. And I've got to realize that God loves me. And God thinks that I'm a beautiful and wonderful creation of his. That he loves me so much that he died for me. And God wants you to look to him and his approval, that audience of one, because if you get your eyes off everyone else and you look to him, you'll see that love in his eyes and that smile on his face because when you take a step toward him, it pleases him. When you take another step toward him, it pleases him. And it's not about where you are, it's about where you're headed. I mean, whatever age you are in Christ, if you've been a believer for two months, then he doesn't expect you to act like you've been a believer for 10 years, but he wants you to take those steps of faith. And I think it's really important for us to realize that whenever we step in faith toward God, then he's pleased Then he's pleased. And when we look at him, we see reflected back through his eyes, who we are in Christ, totally loved, totally accepted, totally righteous in Christ. And then we can ask him, God, are you pleased with my life today? God, what do you want me to do today? I want to obey you. I want to please you. By the end of the day, I want to look back and say, you know what? I wasn't trying to please anyone else, but I pleased God. I may look back and say, I didn't please anybody else, but I pleased God today. Instead of, I pleased a lot of people, but I didn't please God. I didn't do what God called me to do. Jesus Christ always pleased his father. That's why he did what he did, because he was pleasing the father. And in Matthew 3, 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So Jesus followed his Father God's command and was baptized by John in the river to obey his Father and God said this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I am pleased. And by the way, we're having our big super summer baptism next weekend. And the first step of faith after you receive Christ, that first step that pleases God is to be baptized. And so I know that so many of you, hundreds of you in this service are going to be baptized next weekend to profess your faith. And I know many of you've been baptized and And I want to talk about it briefly because those of you who've been baptized, I want you to remember how powerful your baptism is. And then for those of you who want to be baptized next weekend in our Super Summer Baptism, I want to talk about some of the frequently asked questions to help you out. Now, baptism is a public profession of your faith. You receive Christ into your life, and then the Bible commands us to be baptized to follow God. And we're baptized to show everyone else that we're a believer and we want everyone else to know we don't care what anyone thinks about us. We only care what God thinks about us. Now, in the New Testament, you could be an undercover Christian without being baptized, basically. What that means is if you weren't baptized in that public profession, that public celebration, then you wouldn't be persecuted. But once you're baptized with public celebration, you would be persecuted, imprisoned, or killed. So when they were baptized in the New Testament, as Christ commanded to follow Jesus with all their hearts, they were saying, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. I don't even care if the government, the Roman government, or the religious leaders arrest me, imprison me, kill me. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to fear man. I'm going to follow God with my whole heart. And really, baptism means the same thing today. It's just in America, we don't get persecuted. But in many parts of the world, communist countries, Muslim countries, that if you get baptized, you get persecuted, imprisoned. It happens all over the world today. But yet, when we're baptized next weekend, it's the same thing. It's our public profession of faith in Jesus. We're saying we're being baptized with our fellow brothers and sisters all over the world, and we don't care what anyone thinks about us, but we do care what God thinks about us. And we are going to please God and follow God because he commands us to be baptized after we receive Christ. And it's a powerful thing. Obedience brings blessing. When we obey Christ, even when we don't understand it, it brings great blessings. We take a step forward in faith and do something that God's called us to do that maybe we don't understand completely, and it propels us ahead to a whole new level. You take a step back in fear, and you get stuck. And so God commands us to be baptized after we receive Christ. And we always have public celebrations here. We celebrate at the big baptism fountain at both of our campuses. And we're going to have cake and punch, and we're going to just have a great time and celebrate the baptism next weekend. Well, another question I get asked is, why be baptized by immersion? Well, here at Woodland Church, we baptize by immersion. I mean, that's because it's, it's a biblical thing. That's the way everyone in the Bible was baptized, where they're lowered under the water and right back up. And it best symbolizes Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ died, was buried, rose again, and he's alive in your life to make all the difference in your life. Now, where did sprinkling start? Well, it started in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, because there were places where they didn't have water to do that. It was a convenience thing. But really the main reason that it started when they started sprinkling babies and baptizing babies with sprinkling is because they really twisted a doctrine of scripture, and the doctrine is original sin, that we're all born with this bent towards sin. That's why we need salvation, but they said uh, these babies are born into sin, and they turned it into original guilt, and that is that what are we going to do if this baby dies before they're old enough to receive Christ, before they're old enough to be baptized, then they'll spend eternity apart from Christ. And so they started baptizing babies by immersion and some of them drowned. So then out of convenience of that, they started sprinkling. And that's how it really started. Now I know that, you know, some churches practice that sprinkling or confirmation as children as a symbol and all now, but that's where it started. That's, that's where it's from. And that's why it's not biblical. And I know that Many of you were sprinkled or baptized as a baby, but now you've come to know Jesus Christ. And I biblically challenge you to get rebaptized next weekend. And that's what you need to do to follow God and to do what He's called you to do. I have rebaptized thousands of people at Woodland Church who were sprinkled or baptized as babies. I've never had anyone come out of the water and say, Pastor Kerry, my first baptism was so much more meaningful when I was a baby. No. You just got your head wet and cried, didn't know what was happening. But once you're old enough to receive Christ and make that faith commitment to Christ, then it's your turn to be baptized because it's your choice now. Now, I know that your parents stood before God in the church and made a great commitment that day. They said, we want our child to be raised to follow Christ. But you just got your head wet and cried. You didn't know what was happening. It wasn't your decision. That's why at Woodland Church, we have baby dedications where we pray for the child, and the parents make a commitment to the child that's powerful, but when that child gets old enough to receive Christ, to know what it means to place their faith in Christ for salvation, then they're to be baptized to show their faith in Christ, their public profession of faith. Now, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Christ does that when you receive him, but it shows that you are one. It's a powerful symbol that you are a Christ follower, and God calls all of us to be baptized after we receive Christ. And so next weekend is the big chance. It's going to be amazing next weekend. Our super summer baptism. and We want everyone to sign up who has not been baptized by immersion after you received Christ. Um, I'm telling you, obedience brings amazing blessing. And maybe you've been a believer for 30 years, but you've never been biblically baptized. Then go for it. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know, though, if I get baptized, people are going to think I'm just a new believer. Well, who cares what people think about you? You obey God. And some of you are going, well, if I get baptized and get my hair wet, I mean, I don't know if I'll look very good. Well, who cares? We're here to please God. And when you please God, forget about what everyone else thinks. Some of you are going, well, what are my parents going to think? You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, they had me baptized as a baby and I'm not sure what they're going to think. Well, you're 60 years old. You can think for yourself. Stop trying to please mom and dad. It's time for you to please God. Hey, God calls us to take this step of baptism. And he doesn't say, well, take this step if you want, but then there are other steps. Nope, it's the next step, the next step, the next step. And the baptism is our public profession of faith is that next step. Now, what is it going to be like next weekend? Well, you're going to sign up today. We have these sign-up cards that you can take out and start signing up, and you can be baptized with your whole family. I baptized couples together saying that we're going to really build our marriage on Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I, I baptized a lot of single adults saying we're going to go God's way. And we baptized family. I baptized a family of 12 once. It was cousins and uncles and everybody in the baptism pool at the same time. It was amazing, um, but we'll baptize your whole family if your kids are old enough to understand what it means to profess their faith in Christ. And and they start asking those questions at an early age, and we've got our children's pastors out there that will help talk to them to see if they're ready to be baptized, but we'd love to baptize your whole family. It'd be amazing. And so what we do is next weekend you come and you bring your baptism clothes with you to the service you're going to. And if you forget your baptism clothes, we've got shirts and shorts to fit any size, I promise you. We've got everything you need after you get your hair wet, ladies. Oh, we've got blow dryers. You know, we've got, all, we've got everything that you need. And we'll give you these little kits with everything you need. And so next weekend at the end of the service, whatever service you come to, you'll just go right back to the dressing rooms. And then you'll come out to the baptism fountain, the prayer fountain, the cross fountain out there. And then when it's time for you to be baptized, you, you come into the water and we help you. I and the other pastors will be out there. And then we briefly lower you under the water and right back up. It's as simple as that. You can hold your nose. I say, do you want to hold your nose? And you say, yep, you want to hold your nose? Then I just raise your hand up to your nose. You hold your nose right under and right back up. And there's nothing magical about the water out there. There's nothing mystical about it. It's just obedience brings blessing. When you obey God, I've had so many people come out of the water who were baptized as babies and say, this is the most meaningful thing ever. Why is this so meaningful? I'm just so moot. It's because you obeyed God. Obedience brings blessing. And so I just challenge you. Next weekend, it's your weekend, and you sign up today so that we'll be ready for you. Sign up today, pick whatever service, and I'm telling you, you'll be pleasing God. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. You please God. You go to the baptism pool for an audience of one. We'll have everything that you need. Just sign up. You also get a baptism certificate that's really nice with the picture of you and the pastor baptizing you. And you can always remember that baptism where you really profess that Jesus is Lord. In fact, Jesus said in scripture, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you in eternity. And so I don't want him to be ashamed of me. I want him to be pleased with me. And so we're to be baptized to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I don't want him to be ashamed of me. I want everyone to know that I'm a Christ follower. And that's why I'm being baptized, to profess my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I want you just to see this testimony of a recent baptism. It's what it's all about.
1: I honestly didn't have no direction in life. Uh, I actually didn't see myself living past 18. I wasn't suicidal. I just didn't have any life goals or plans or purpose. I wanted to identify with everyone else and what they're doing, cussing, dressing a certain way, talking to girls. And it was the end of high school, it was everything. So I used to just hang around the wrong people. I just wanted to be like everyone else. Crazy enough, my older cousin, he found Jesus, and his mom is a pastor. And so I thought it was a phase. So he started, you know, we hanged out all the time, um, and it started to feel weird because we didn't have the conversations we used to have. I started living with my cousins, and being in that environment, it was just different. I seen that you didn't have to be this super uptight Christian to be a Christian. I didn't have to wear a suit. Like, I I hate suits to this day because I literally thought that was the wedge between me and God. God set me aside with my cousins for that amount of time and just basically cultivate me in his word and around his people. And that's ultimately how I fell in love with Jesus. I wanted to get baptized again. I was baptized like at seven or eight. There at that church, you could not uh, participate in the in the cracker and juice communion if you didn't get baptized, and I, I felt left out. So I wanted to fit in, and so I just wanted the the crackers and juice just to just to fit in with the rest of everyone else. I didn't really understand the reason. Got dipped, and I was okay with it. I wanted to identify with Christ. So basically, that's what baptism is: is to identify with Christ and his and his burial and resurrection. So. This time around, I knew I when I got baptized, it was for the wrong reason. This time I wanted the world to know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and this is this is the bond we have, and it's nothing's coming in, in between it. Just to identify with Christ in baptism, death, burial, and resurrection, it's an act of obedience, and, and you never know what God would do with act of obedience. You never know.